four, three, two, one. We are live. Welcome again to another episode of One Week Expert. This is Aaron Muka. And this is Sabod Murthy here. So Sabod, last time yes, we met, we, uh, we came up with this topic of U.S. elections is what we were going to discuss. And I think I think we need to tell the audience both of us came to the same conclusion. We started to do our research and realized this topic was extremely large. Yep. So I think we it decided was, to na narrow it down, right? It was not a one week topic, right? It's it it definitely like was not a one week expert topic. Um, so what we decided to do was still take an aspect of the United States election process and look at that. And the um, aspect we chose was um, the difference between the electoral college and the popular vote. And I think it's I think it's um, to say up front, what we are going to do is discuss the process, talk about maybe some pros and cons, but this is not going to be a political pundit podcast or talk about really politics or my beliefs or Sabode's beliefs from a political aspect. It's really going to be focused on, you know, what are these concepts of electoral college and the popular vote and how do they come into being? Um, again, talking about some pretty well established pros and cons that I think both of us found um, through through our research. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We're not going to get into, you know, the politics of it. We're going to focus more on the processes, right? And the what the electoral college is, what the popular vote is, and some of the history, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it. So electoral college and popular vote. I, I can say um, before I started doing research, I thought I knew what this was. I, you know, from being born and raised in the US, you hear electoral college and popular vote and you're like, OK, I get it. And, you, you know, on when the president is elected um, or on election day, you see all of the news channels that have some huge map and states are turning red and blue and there's a number there and it's like, OK, I get it. And, you know, once you hit a certain number, then you're the president. But it, there's actually quite a bit more to this that I did not know. Um, so maybe to start, um, and Sabod, do you just want to start maybe from the conceptual aspect of what is the Electoral College and what is the popular vote from the research you did? Sure. I, I have to start off by saying, you know, uh, the Electoral College, like everything American, is kind of unique to America. I, From my research, I really couldn't find another system that had the same sort of process in place. I don't know, maybe you did. But right from, you know, the American sports to the not using the metric system to the election system, everything about America is unique, right? And I found that the same to be the case for the Electoral College. So what it is, is it's something that's a little weird for me. And uh, I think we're going to talk about the history and origins first. Is that correct, Aaron? Well, I think maybe we can just talk about conceptually what it is. Right. Um, so from my from my research, the popular vote, pretty easy to understand. Um, 
every vote counts, the majority of the votes then, you know, elect the president. Um, everyone who votes, uh, their vote is counted the same and you total the votes, you have a clear cut winner. With the electoral college, you are voting for the way a representative will represent your vote. So each state has a certain number of electoral votes. And what you are voting for is for your representative to cast your vote or the popular vote for that district in a specific manner. And then it is actually that electoral representative who actually casts the vote. Yeah, it's a little bit of a roundabout system, right? So you vote for someone who votes for what your voice is supposed to say. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, so it's, it, it is, you know, in theory, uh, associated to the popular vote. And there, there's any number of reasons why the Electoral College was established. And we'll get into those um, in a moment. Uh, but it it definitely has some unique aspects to it where you are, you are essentially um, requesting someone to vote on your behalf, which is definitely not what the popular vote is from the standpoint of your vote is your vote. You're not requesting anyone to represent you in a in a different way. Um, from the from the you know some some different concepts. And again, as you're researching these, you can take deep dives. Books are written on this subject, so there is so much here. But from a political structure, the electoral vote um, is a representative republic, whereas the popular vote is categorized as direct democracy, which makes sense, right? Citizen, right. So in the Electoral College, citizens votes for a delegate or representative, um, gener generally in accordance where their allegiance is or their party affiliation. Uh, delegates convene and vote. The winner of the vote is elected for the position in question, whereas in a popular vote, the citizens vote for their choice of the official for the position being elected. Votes are counted and the majority wins. So the Electoral College, you are relying on your represent, representative to vote the way you and others like you have indicated they need to vote. Right, so it's sort of the popular vote rolled up at the district level that it's rolls up to the federal level, right? You're correct. It's a it's a summarization, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This district says to vote this way. That gets rolled up with other districts. Eventually, it gets rolled up to a representative of the Electoral College, and they are supposed to vote in that manner. And I think we'll get into uh, get into a few of the issues in a moment, in a little bit, about when that has not occurred. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which is extremely interesting, and it's yeah, I like the term they use for those folks. <laughs> so, you know, talking about the history of the electoral college, and 
And I think you have to even take a step back and look at the way America was founded. Um, so America was founded, uh, you know, primarily from the British, um, the 13 colonies and, and everything from U.S. history. And when the U.S. declared independence from the British and eventually won uh, the Revolutionary War, there was any number of um, thought processes given to how do we run a country of our own? And without going into a ton of detail here, there were two prevailing tra trains of thought. One is that there would be one government and that government would be universal across any single province. And the other was that there would be a single federal government, but states would also have their own independent governments and states would have certain rights within the state. And there was many differing opinions on this. And it, you know, it finally concluded to what we see today is that you have state government and then you have the federal government. And in some cases, state governments align with the federal government. In other cases, they don't. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because that is really what was at the crux of the matter when the founding fathers were discussing how to elect a president from the standpoint of, you know, if you look at it from a true popular vote perspective, that really aligns with just, hey, we have one government in the country and that government is universal. But the Electoral College really lends itself towards the concept of states' rights and how they are being represented within the republic as a whole. Yep. And I think the other uh, the reason the other reason that I found that they followed the system is that you know they could have adopted a system similar to the British system where they elect a parliament and then the parliament kind of elects the leader of uh, the government and that's how they govern themselves, right? But at the time of the Philadelphia Convention, there was you know there was the United States that had just come out of the rule of a king and they felt that having congress pick the leader or pick the president would create an opportunity for corruption so there'd be a lot of chummy politics and you know they'd pick someone who necessarily didn't represent the voice of the people right so that's one of the reasons that they actually also wanted to adopt the system where you have one system that actually elects your Congress or your parliament, and then they have another election to actually elect the executive. Absolutely. And all of this was then recorded in the U.S. Constitution, and it is in Article 2. And even from, you know, from the time when the country was founded through now, many, many different amendments have been made um, to revise and um evolve the system however it has not been abolished from the from the standpoint of having the concept of an electoral college um so it is it is a very old construct that has been adopted and it has evolved over the years 
And I think when we say it's evolved, it's evolved at each independent state's level. So there's really, I, I don't think there's anything that the that can be done at the federal level, but different states have chosen to, you know, add some rules around their electors and their electoral uh, representatives and things like that, and how their votes are um, counted and distributed and accounted for. So it's a it's a little bit of a messy system because even if you want to make improve it, it has to be done in conjunction with the states and all the states agreeing for a particular improvement. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's also important to remember when we talk about this, that when this electoral college was established, think about the period of time individuals were living. There was there was no electricity. There was definitely no Internet or cell phones. And the founding fathers really needed to come up with some sort of system that they felt was representative and fair while also dealing with, I guess, in what today's terms we would call a lack of technology. Or general infrastructure even, you know, they were absolutely probably didn't have uh, proper transportation from place to place and things like that. So just a lot of challenges that they had to deal with. Absolutely. So from the standpoint of the Electoral College itself, um, as we mentioned, it has evolved over time. However, fundamentally, it still remains the same. It is, I need to look at my notes. Don't tell me you haven't memorized this stuff, Aaron. I have not memorized it. So I think I think right there that tells you I'm, I'm not a one week <laughs> expert. Um, <laughs> If I have to look well, at my notes, but well, every expert needs their notes, right? Anyway, absolutely, absolutely. I would hope so. I would hope so. So the so there's a few of these amendments that I think are fairly important. Um, or a few few of the details of these amendments that are fairly important in that uh, still, still are reflected today. The first being the popular election, or when everyone goes to the polls, is the second Tuesday after the first Monday in November. And you know that's usually a in the U.S. a pretty significant day, and everyone's sitting around their TV and watching states turn colors and things of that nature. However, the actual election of the president based on the electors in the um, based on the popular vote is on the first Monday after the second Wednesday in December. And I have no idea how they came up with these days, Sabode, but I think the important part is what you see on the second Tuesday in November is only estimates and it's not actually real. While, yeah, there are, you know, polling and um, different different ways of projecting votes and 
uh, who won different counties and who won different states. The actual tally of the votes is not until early December when the electors actually meet and then they cast their votes for the president. Right. And I think that, you know, the there is a statute that governs all these dates that you just uh, put out there. And I do believe that Congress does have the power to change those dates. Uh, so I, I don't see why they would, but should the need arise like in the situation we are in right now with the coronavirus and the lockdown and all that, if they feel there is a need to change it, I think they can pass some legislation to change those dates. Yeah, absolutely. It's They would need to pass or amend the Constitution, but it's absolutely in Congress's power to do that. And then finally, the actual announcement of the president is not actually official until January 6th, I believe. Yep. So, so essentially, I think the, an important takeaway for anyone listening is while you cast your vote in November, it does not become official until December. And is it truly, it's not even um, ratified until January. So you're looking at a two-month process. And I think the really, really important part there is that even though you may cast a vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden when you actually check the box on your ballot, you're actually not voting for them. You're voting for an elector that represents your vote, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs> that's the really weird part in all of this. Yeah. And and there has in in history been faithless electors. Yep. Um, and this has occurred in the 20th century. It has occurred in 1948, 1956, 1960, 1968, 1972, 1976, 1988, and even 2000. And the elector makes an independent decision on their own to go against the population and say and elect or choose to elect either candidate B or even candidate C. Yep. And but there are some states that have a law that says their electors cannot, you know, support anyone other than their party's candidate. Right. So it's this can still make a difference by selecting a different candidate than the actual voters elected, but they can't go across party lines. Correct. So, and it, even in July of 2020, the uh, Supreme Court of the U.S. indicated that states can, in fact, require elect electoral college voters to back the victor of the state's popular vote. But again, that goes down to now it is a state's choice whether to enforce that or not. Yep. Going back to states' rights, which is one of the reasons why the electoral college was you know, agreed to in the first place. So from the standpoint of some electoral college pros and cons to the popular vote, what are your thoughts about or what did your research indicate to you? 
So here's what uh, I think there are pros and cons, right? Uh, the I'll talk a little bit about what the pros of the Electoral College are. The pros of the Electoral College are they're actually giving states a voice in, you know, who's the president, right? Absolutely. The, the cons are it's you're not in a true democracy where your actual vote, the one you cast in during election day, is what determines the president, right? The other pro is also it kind of gives every state the opportunity to really determine how they're going to select their votes for a president. And by that I mean, you know, so each state has got a certain number of electors. They can determine whether, you know, they're going to cast a vote based on the popular vote or based on the ratio of the votes in the state. And what I mean by that is, you know, if uh, you've got a Republican and Democratic candidate and a state has selected, uh, has a Republican candidate has won the popular vote, right now most states have made the choice to say all the electoral votes go to the candidate that won popular vote. There are a couple of states though that have chosen to go the other route where they say, okay, we'll use the proportion. So if you get two candidates and they've got, you know, 51% and 49% uh, of the votes, the electors are split across that proportion accordingly. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So, so it is a little confusing system, but those are the pros, you know, there are a little more, uh, there's a little more control over uh, what the states can do. On the con side, I think for me, it's an archaic system. It's very old. It doesn't really need to be there. It's quite misleading. And, you know, if we hadn't done this research, I don't think we would have understood the nuances, which as a citizen, you really, and a citizen who's going to exercise the right to vote, you really need to understand those nuances. So it could be definitely a much simpler system while continuing to retain some of the power at the state level. Yeah, I... I'm I'm torn on this because in my research, I, I found out that 50% of all Americans live in 100 counties in the US. Yep. And there's thousands of counties. So if you're saying, right, hey, we're just going to go to this popular vote, you are going to truly, and this is also, I think the caveat here is with the assumption that for this discussion, everyone goes out goes out and votes, right? We know that isn't the case. We know there's any number of reasons for that. Um, and I don't think that this podcast is, you know, when we're going to discuss a lot of socioeconomical reasons and things of that nature. But for this, for the, for the top, you know, just for discussion, let's assume that everyone in the U.S. goes out and votes. So if that's the case, you essentially have these 100 counties that are choosing the president. And that is not a clear representation across the entire US. And I think I think that's a very, very important thing. And one of the reasons why, at least 
as I said, I'm torn because I do see value in the electoral college from the standpoint of you are giving a state at least a voice in this. Whereas if it was purely popular and everyone in the U.S. voted, many states would not even have a say in what the election outcomes are. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the reasons they opted for this electoral college system when they were creating this democracy, right? Because they kind of knew that there are going to be areas of the country where you don't have a lot of people, but they do need to be represented. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, you know, which is what America is founded on is the representation of all. Correct. Yep. Yep. So, you know, it, it is a it is a very difficult debate because when I went into this, I was thinking, oh, why isn't this just the popular vote? Right. It makes sense to me. This this is uh, this is a no brainer. But then when I did the research and I was starting to think about it, the Electoral College does have purpose to give people a voice. And that is extremely important. Yeah. And but, you know, when we're talking about pros and cons, the other bad aspect of the Electoral College is it has created these battleground states where, you know, it could either be a toss up between a Democratic candidate or a Republican candidate. So there's a lot of focus and campaigning to try and win those battle, battleground states, whereas all these other states that have a clear Republican presence and a Democratic presence don't get any attention. So in a way, we've got a system now that the larger populations don't really have much of a voice. And then the battleground states are the states that get a lot of attention. They get policies that you know, would benefit them from either candidate, things like that, which is also a little weird. Exactly. And, you know, along those same lines, there's there's definitely, if anyone goes out there and looks, it is, uh, there's a lot of cons for the Electoral College. Um, and along the same lines of what you're saying, about is one one of the cons is, along with the battle battleground states, is historical states associated to one party um, in a way discourage voting in itself. Yep. Because, for example, you know, typically Democratic states like California or red states like Texas, well, you know, if I already know that, yeah, the state from the Electoral College perspective is going to go to a Republican, then what's the point of me voting, right? Mm -hmm. Which exactly. is, you know, contrarian to the entire election process where you want your people to vote and you want them to have a say. Um, so it, it also, in a way, if you have a specific point of view, may discourage voting. Yeah, there was an interesting statistic that I came across. And, you know, again, with all statistics, you know, you have to make sure that they're whether they're right or wrong. But what I read and this was from, uh, I think, the. Uh, one of the university studies, Stanford or some university, I don't recall which one, but four of four out of five citizens votes don't matter, which is a lot, right? So that's a problem as well. And then the other part to it is also, you know, when you've got states that have got these uh, elect these districts, 
that have a lot of electoral votes tied to a particular district, then you have the same issue where candidates focus on those particular districts and just ignore the rest of the state as well. Yeah, I, I saw, I read an article and again, the Sabot and I are just the messengers. We have not done this research. So everyone please yeah. keep that in mind. Um, that said, states with more electoral college votes, their individuals obviously have more voting power or value, right? Than states that don't. For example, an individual voter in the state of California has 3.3 times more individual power to choose a president than voters in Montana, right? Because there are, there are, I believe, over 50 electoral uh, college votes in California, and there's only three in Montana. So, so in a way, yep. you still are, you still are. In, even in the electoral college, you still are catering to where mm, the majority of the population are. However, each state is truly represented. So from the popular vote pros and cons, what did you find out? So the popular vote, again, the pro is that, you know, it's a true representation of all the citizens of a country irrespective of location. So, you know, if 51% of the population feel a particular person represents their opinions and policies and all that, they should be able to elect that person, right? That's the pro. And it does also actually give the power to the people. So right now in the electoral college system, you know, the power isn't really with the system, uh, with the person to elect their president. It's through their representative, right? Correct. So in a popular vote situation, it's uh, the true each citizen has a voice and that voice is heard. So that's the pro. The con, like we discussed previously, is that it can be skewed because, you know, like anything else, birds of a feather flock together. So you're going to have these large pockets of population that think alike and behave alike that uh, want to vote for a particular candidate. And then those big cities and big states really get to call the shots and all the other states don't really have much of a voice, right? Correct, it's, an, it, it's not true representation at that point. It's based, exactly. on, it's based on where the population resides. And what, and I guess, you know, from that standpoint, it, popular vote, the majority wins. Um, but, you know, regardless, again, of what your political views are, the importance is that, you know, people are heard, I think, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, regardless of these methods, um, the people can be heard. It's just which is a more um, representative system for the country, I think is, is more of the question. Right. And I think the scary part with the popular vote is that uh, more and more in recent times, you know, there have been candidates that have won the popular vote, but just lost the elections. Right. So Hillary in 2016 won the popular vote, lost the elections. Al Gore won the popular vote, lost the elections. Right. And who knows what's going to happen in 2020, but <laughs> we may be in a similar situation. Yeah. And that's that's occurred almost since it's been been around, right? So you had 
1824, John Quincy Adams won the electoral vote, um, but lost the popular vote to Andrew Jackson. 1876, Rutherford yeah. B. Hayes, uh, you know, won won the won the electoral college. Um, Benjamin Harrison in 1888 over Grover Cleveland, right? George Bush, as you mentioned, over Al Gore, yeah. and then Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton. So the question becomes. Is the Electoral College truly representing the people, right? Yeah. And I think maybe that's a good transition into our voter reforms and the Electoral College today and talking about, you know, is this still needed? Yeah. So I think that, you know, voter, there are a lot of great people who are doing a lot of good stuff with uh, voter reform. And I think one movement that uh, has gained some traction is the uh, the topic that I talked about earlier, where the votes of the state, the electoral uh, elector vo uh, votes are split based on the actual votes for the across the state. I don't know if that made sense. I'm probably had to repeat that a few times. Before I think it does you make do. Sense. <laughs> so, you know, so uh, right now, if a state has, you know, a uh, a popular vote going to a particular candidate, that candidate gets all the electoral votes from that state. But there are a couple of states that have chosen to go with the true representation of the votes. So my it previous is, so, example was. So I think you're talking about the national popular vote interstate compact. So, yeah. so the research that I found was several states and the District of Columbia have joined into this national popular vote interstate compact um yeah this is i don't believe this is any affiliation with any sort of government it's truly just a compact right. but what they're saying is whoever is part of this compact um for those jurisdictions agree to pledge their electors to the winner of the of the national popular vote so in a way you are saying, OK, here's the national popular vote. And let's say it's candidate A who wins the national popular vote and candidate B who would have won the Electoral College. These states and the District of Columbia have said, well, whoever wins the national popular vote, we are going to um, pledge our electors to. And I didn't go into a lot of detail with this um, because, again, if you're if you're looking at the national popular vote, that may be quite different than what your local jurisdictions are indicating to you. Right, but I I think uh, that's that's also that's a great uh, proposal that they have, right? But the uh, the proposal that I was talking about was actually where you it's not an all or nothing situation right now all the electoral college votes from a particular state go to a particular candidate but if you were to create a situation where the electoral votes were split based on the representative votes of your uh, citizens in your state it would kind of open up things where even in a state like california where it's largely democratic there is some republican electors to be won so you'd have people in California, Republicans, where their vote is also represented. 
So for example, let's say there were 50 votes in California and you had a 70-30 split across Democrats and Republicans, you'd have some of those 50 electoral votes go towards the Republican candidate, right? So some sort of proportion or ratio. Exactly. Right. right. So I think, that, what were the two states that do that today? It's Nebraska and Maine. Is that? I think so. Yes. Does that sound correct? correct? Yeah. As opposed yeah, yeah. to the, as opposed to the all or none, which I think every other state follows. Nebraska and Maine actually do split their electoral college votes between the candidates based on the popular vote within that state. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that for me, that's a really uh, much better way to. If, if we do need to stick with the electoral college, and I think we do, there's no changing. I think it'll be a huge challenge to change the constitution, but that really reflects the voice of the people in a better way than it does today. I, I agree with that. And since you brought that up, so at least in the 20th century, the, it has come close to abolishing the electoral college twice, at least that I found in my research. Once was in 1969, um, there was a real push to abolish the Electoral College, and the other was in 1977. So, you know, within the past 50 years, 50, 60 years, there, this has been a hot topic of discussion. Uh, mm. Do we even need the Electoral College, um, or should it just be a national popular vote? And I think, you know, I would lean more towards something of what you're saying, I think, than just saying, yeah, it's going to be a flat popular vote, and guess what? You know these these limited areas of a large population really drive what who the winner is, which is not necessarily a representation of the country. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, the other part to it is also much earlier on in the process in determining who these candidates are that are going to represent each party, right? So we're kind of stuck with just these two choices right now at the end of the day, but how did you get to those two choices? You got through those two choices through the same weird broken system where it's a popular vote for a particular candidate, irrespective of you know how many other candidates were there and who could potentially have come through the ranks if we used a different system. So I don't think we get the best candidates through our system, and then you know we have uh, a problem where we don't get the best candidates, then we don't get the best choice either at the end of the day. That may be true, and that candidate selection process is very similar to the Electoral College, only a, on a much more local scale, um, where voters are casting votes uh, for a representative to vote on a specific candidate which is typically how they are selected. Um, however, both I think the Democrat and Republican uh, national committees do have a say in that and can really and can really uh, use their influence, shall I say, on that. Yeah. You know, the one thing I would say, though, talking about the number of candidates and even getting into kind of this whole concept of a two party system and oh, what about independents? What about libertarians and things like that? They're basically shut out and and you know, is that an issue or is that not an issue? And one of the things I read was one of the pros that people will argue, okay, for the electoral college 
is that a two-party system provides stability. Whereas if you had 17 different parties and every year it was just a free-for-all, every four years, the United States would be going through drastic changes or proposed drastic changes, right? Yes. I think it's, you know, I think it's important for everyone to understand that uh, not going going into my high school U.S. history or Constitution class, but it is Congress that makes the laws that govern the country. The president can only propose things and veto things. It is Congress that makes the laws. So from the standpoint of coming back to what I was saying, though, you ab you absolutely it. You know, regardless if it's if it's if there are other better candidates or anything, it absolutely does increase more stability than the lower the number of parties or participants have. Now, is that a good thing or is, or is that a bad thing? I think everyone has their opinion on that, right? Right, right, right. But, the, you know, in anything you do, the lower the number of participants, the more stable something is going to be. And I, and I think when you're looking at, you know, any sort of any country, the stabi stability is a very, very important thing. Right. But, you know, where I was going with the we are stuck with these candidates is not necessarily having more representation at the president uh, presidential level, but more along the lines of are we selecting the right representatives to run for president, right? And what I mean by that is like if you look at the past couple of elections when we've had the primaries for the Democratic uh, nominee and the Republican nominee, you've had eight or nine potential uh, candidates who've run for the nomination. And when you have eight or nine people, you just need to win, you know, 20% of the vote to be selected as the nominee, which is not a very fair system because you've now got, you know, 80% of the people who don't really sign up to have that nominee represent them, but they're stuck with it, right? Correct. But isn't that in a way a con then of just having a popular vote? Whereas if you have the more nominees you have, you could have someone win with just a 20% majority. So, yeah, yeah. So, but but then you don't get the right represent, representation at that uh, primary level. So then, you know, when you probably don't get a lot of participation at the federal election or the presidential election level because the candidate that you wanted wasn't selected as the nominee, you know? So you're not having your citizens of the country really participate in the process. So you've got this other movement where they're advocating for ranked choice voting. And I'm so sure explain I'm gonna, that a little bit. Yeah. And I'm if I wasn't able to explain the proportion thing, I'm sure I'm gonna watch this one, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let me give it a shot. So let's say you've got like six uh, candidates that are running for nomination, right? So the way the ranked choicing vote voting works is when you go to vote for a candidate, you choose your first preference, second preference, third preference, fourth preference, right to the sixth preference, right? Right. And then the votes are counted. And then the person with uh, the least number of first preference votes is canceled out. And all the their votes go to the second preference person. It's very similar to MVP voting in sports, correct? Yeah, I, I don't really know how it works, MVP voting in sports, but if it's like the ranked choice, it's probably the same. It is. Yeah. You 
you you rank you know your top three or top five, and then and then those are scored based on the number of points someone gets for first place, for second place, for third place, for fourth place, for fifth place, right? Yeah. And then the last person's eliminated, their votes go to the second, whoever they selected as the second choice and so on and so forth. You eliminate each level till you end up with uh, the person with the most number of votes. And that kind of represents the people's nominees a little better is what I think, because when you've got, you know, multiple people running on a similar platform and you need to choose one of the person, but you don't want to go, you know, uh, you, you want to select a second choice as well. You do have that opportunity to do that. So there are some places where they're using the system for local elections, like mayor, mayoral elections and things like that. And it turns out to be a very fair system. So I think that's something that should be looked at for uh, primaries. So you get a better candidate that actually represents the person or the people and that way you get more participation in the democracy. Absolutely. So Sabod. Yep. Do you consider yourself a one week expert on the electoral college versus popular vote for the United States of America presidential election? A one week expert, definitely. Not beyond the one week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely have learned so much from just yeah. doing the research and you know what I thought I knew, I actually didn't know much about at all. Um, so. I and think what I, would... I appreciated is that, you know, we still have a lot of people that are, you know, fighting to improve the system, which is good, right? Absolutely. Regardless, regardless, anytime, anytime you have discussion on something for the sake of improving it, regardless of what your opinion may be on how to improve, improve it. I mean, I think that's always a good thing. So, big questions, about Yes. What is our topic for next week? Our topic for next week is going to be, remind me again what it was. That's why I asked you. <laughs> we were going to switch over to a slightly lighter topic because you know some of these topics we've picked the past few weeks have been a lot of research and heavy topics so we wanted to go to something a little lighter and we've so, picked figuring out the streaming services right absolutely and we will do some research on this it's not just going to be my opinion and Sabo's opinion as far as what streaming service is best um and we'll provide background information and even a little history of how they got started. Um, however, something a little bit different. Yep, so it'll definitely be a lot more entertaining than voting and the electoral college and the popular vote. Though I do have to say probably, um, even though more entertaining, probably uh, not as important as voting. Although maybe some people think the other way. Well, if you're not in the US and you're one of our listeners not in the U.S., it'll definitely be more interesting. And Very good. For you. Very good point. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for listening to One Week Expert. This has been Aaron Muka. And this is Sabod Murthy. 
Signing off. Thank you. Signing off.